I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen here. We've got a great show on our mental health business series with uh, Dave Ballenberger. Hey Dave. Hey, how you doing Kristen? Good, good. And we have Ann Siegel and she is a marketing specialist and we're going to talk about marketing and mental health. Ann, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Kristen. Absolutely. Now, you and Dave have the background. So, Dave, why don't you take over hosting duties and tell our listeners, um, you know, why you wanted to bring Ann on this show? Oh, well, I wanted to bring her on primarily because Ann, I've worked with Ann quite a bit around marketing um, a business, marketing mental health. And I, I always think it's interesting to get her opinion on how things should be marketed or could be marketed or some of the inappropriate ways uh, that we market uh, medication on television um, and some of the other things that we do that actually really don't help people who are suffering from mental illness. And you'll hear psychiatrists complain that someone will watch a TV ad about a certain medication and he's got them on a medication regimen that's working and they all call up the next morning and want to change to what they saw on TV. Right. And uh, and it just makes it uh, very difficult. But before we go too much into that, Ann, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and um, your your company and what you do? So I own a company called Marketing Acuity, and we focus on research, insight, strategy, and tactics for a group of clients worldwide. We work with a lot of different clients, so we get a chance to see marketing from a lot of different organizational perspectives. Um, One of the areas that we do work in is healthcare marketing, and we've worked in healthcare marketing for quite some time. Um, We work both on the provider side, and we also work on the vendor side, so we have a chance to see how both interact, um, both B2C and B2B. So uh, I've been doing this now for, gosh, I hate to say it out loud, but it's been 25 years. Um, so there have been a lot of changes. When you think about what the landscape of marketing looked like 25 years ago, and you think about what the landscape of marketing looks like today, the fundamentals haven't changed. We're still trying to identify and reach our intended audience. But the, the techniques and the way we go about doing that has changed radically in 25 years. And some of the, the folks that I work with now, uh, you know, that are that are younger, that work in the, some of the organizations that we work with, they've never known a world where there hasn't been this instant communication that we have with the Internet. Whereas, you know, a lot of us who are a little bit older, you know, spent a lot of our formative years in marketing when the telephone was the primary method of communication because email didn't exist. Right. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about, you know, in terms of uh, what you see. Now, I know that I've given you a real basic education, probably more than basic, on value-based care Mm -hmm. and value-based payment. How do you see agencies marketing that in terms of whether they're, that they think they're good at it? 
Well, the you know, the concept of value-based care is that we're actually delivering what we say we're going to deliver and that the people who are paying for it and the consumers of that, that is the receivers of the, the healthcare services are getting what they paid for. We're becoming a, a consumer-driven society in terms of healthcare. Um, many of us are having to front a lot of out-of-pocket expenses of our own through HSAs and other payment plans where we're, we have we have first-dollar coverage of our own healthcare, and we're demanding that we get more out of it. So value-based care really lends itself to when I come to you and I have a particular problem, say depression, um, and when I say, look, I want to feel better, what does that look like? Or, or I'm working with uh, another family member, I want them to feel better. What does that look like in terms of being able to deliver that? What can we expect within the landscape of here's a problem, how do we get to the solution that we're looking for? And what does that solution look like? So I think in, in terms of organizations being able to communicate what they can do, the really important thing with value-based care is that you can track it and then you can articulate it. So you can say, 80% of the people that come to us or 90% of the people that come to us or 100%, maybe not 100% of the, the folks that come to us, we can deliver the kind of outcome that you're looking for. We've done this before. So I think the, the model for value-based care really is delivering what people expect. Um, I think we use the example of a broken leg. If I go in for a broken leg, I expect at the end of four to six weeks that the cast is going to be off. And then I expect that I'll go to a physical therapist and I will have some range of motion when I walk into the physical therapist's office. And at the end of six weeks, I will have a different range of motion that is acceptable to me given the prognosis that I've been given. If I had a really severe break, if I broke my leg in five places, I might expect a different level of outcome than I would if I just simply had a simple break and I had a cast on for four weeks. So it's about the client, the patient, understanding the expectation and the healthcare organization that's delivering those services to be able to communicate what the expectation is and then everyone to move along that plan. So when I make the decision to choose a particular healthcare provider, and this comes up all the time, um, what we call dark social, that mm -hmm. is uh, social networks where uh, providers aren't necessarily a part of those networks, but people are sharing information about it. So if, if someone says, hey, I'm, I need to see a therapist for X, other people will come on and say, you know, I went to this person, but I found that I didn't make progress. And so the concept of value-based care is really that I came in, I got the help that I needed, and I made the progress to the level that we all agreed was a good point of expectation. But but don't if if I'm an executive of an agency and um, I want to market my agency and I'm getting paid um, through value-based care and value-based payment, how through the marketing effort do I let the patients know that there's also an expectation of them? Uh, you know, it's one thing to go in and see a therapist and say I'm having X problem, and then the therapist puts together a treatment plan for you. Um, how do you how would you let them know before they hit the door that there's an expectation of you too? It's not just me, the therapist. Dave, that's a really great question because I think that that therapy and, and any kind of medical treatment really lends itself to the idea that we're partners in this. And um, so I think that brings to the table this idea that it's not simply about me walking in the door and expecting some result without putting some effort in. And the communication that it's a partnership, the marketing communication that it's a partnership to achieve something greater is always a great place to go. So it's about changing the client's perception of what that relationship is going to look like. And I think we haven't mm -hmm. done a we haven't done a good job of that in mental health because people come in and they expect sort of something to be bestowed upon them or delivered to them without them taking an active role in their treatment. And now that that really is changing, that it's like, we're gonna be partners in this together. And I think that is really more about messaging so that they understand the expectation when they walk in the door that, hey, we can help you get better. Our, our clients have a partnership together and together that partnership helps them achieve greater results than everybody would if they were on their own. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's what happens a lot of times, too, with um, the use of medication. Um, medication does certain things, period. And um, a lot of it really depends upon the individual in relationship to they take the medication, it does what it's supposed to do. Now, does that mean that I'm like, 
super duper better? No, what it means is you've managed your symptoms. Now it's up to you to make a difference in terms of doing that. And I think a lot of times that's where this effort gets lost, particularly on the mental health side, but even more so on the substance abuse side, because people go and sit in a program for 45 days, uh, go to eight groups a day, and then they get done and they're not supposed to drink anymore or they're not supposed to use drugs anymore. They, they've, they've been helped. Um, and I think that's where we really get into a problem. So I'm just, you know, I'm thinking to myself, if I was this executive and um, I want to, even marketing software, it's the same thing. When you market software, it's not just that the software is going to do something. You too have to do something. Right. And I've yeah. always wondered how we communicate that. Well, in a way, it's not unlike uh, saying being on a, a diet program or working with a physical trainer. Um, you are expected mm -hmm. to do something at home to make those things happen. Your trainer isn't sitting with you and measuring the grams of your food or slapping your hand when you reach for that piece of pizza. They're expecting that you have an, a sense of ownership in the process of getting to better physical health the same way that you do with mental health. And I think in the past, we haven't necessarily expected the same thing. People have said, well, let's use a medication-based approach. We'll take, we'll take a pill and you will feel better. Whereas there might be other things that they do such as journaling or a physical activity such as walking or, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, doing something where they have a, if they're, you know, suffering from say anxiety where they talk themselves through a way to get out of that uh, moment of that anxiety attack or that panic attack where yeah. they have a specific set of things that they do. I think there's, there's, there needs to be an understanding and we need to communicate this upfront that it's a partnership and that you are expected to fulfill your role in that partnership. But I think too, I think the marketing message really is a, that it is a partnership and that it is an opportunity for you mm -hmm. to achieve greater results than you would with medication alone. So I think it's an, it's an additive, it's a value added. Um, and, and if yeah. we can communicate that, if we can communicate that as, as the, as the executive director, if our, if our clinic goes out with that message and says, hey, we can help you achieve greater results than by just medication alone with these programs and therapies, then that is a, that's a distinct advantage. Who doesn't want to get better? I mean, people who, who are in these programs, either they or their family members want them to get better. They don't want to be stuck where they are. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think you're right. I guess you made an interesting comparison. Um, when I watch a Jenny Craig commercial, I know that I have to buy Jenny Craig's food. I know that I need to eat Jenny Craig's food. And I will lose 30 pounds in two weeks um, because Jenny said so. But I think the other thing is if I was, again, I'm going back to being the executive director. If you and I were working on putting together a web page for my agency that I wanted to put out there, um, and I want my patients to know that they also play, because I think this is going to be a huge issue. Um, because we get into this whole value-based thing, and I'm kind of seeing this happen already, where the total expectation is being put back on the provider to provide all this value, but there's no expectation of, of the client um, that it may be there, but it's not being talked about the same way. Um, you know, because we're all still kind of in this mindset of, well, my job is to provide treatment. Your job is to get better. All right, well, what part of my job am I supposed to do? I mean, what do I do? And I really think that's the difference between what we do now and talking about a value and also just the marketing of an organization. Um, would you agree with that? Yes, I do think we need to do that. So just to use your example, let's say I were, you know, putting together a website for a behavioral health organization that's say competing with others in their community, and they want to be able to attract a different client, kind of client, one who's committed to making something happen or, or wants to have that client that is interested in making something happen. I think that message needs to come across right away. Like our program mm -hmm. does X, you can be a part of our program and you'll do Y and Z. So I think there's, uh, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of different ways to talk about that. But if you, um, if you think about it in terms of what we do with other kinds of, of um, 
maybe a little bit more novel, there's this new um, approach in, uh, in physical health um, called functional medicine. And functional medicine is this idea that you come in and you're, you're treating a, maybe a chronic condition like diabetes, but you can't treat diabetes with simply um, managing your insulin. You have to treat diabetes also with diet and uh, type two diabetes with diet and exercise. And so there's an expectation among functional medicine practitioners that the, the client, the patient has a role in, in making sure that their health is um, that they're, they're, they're improving their health. And I think on the behavioral health side, we need to communicate that exact same thing. So the messaging needs mm -hmm. to be different. You know, I'm not just going to a therapist. I'm becoming a partner with that therapist or with that clinic to improve my health. And there's going to be a certain set of expectations. I think that in many ways, um, I think the empowerment of the client or the empowerment of the patient is already happening. They're looking out there and saying, what can I do to get better? And then they're realizing that they mm -hmm. need help in that process. So it's more of a, hey, let's walk this road together rather than, you know, I'm coming to you for, you know, just for you to give me something and then I'm going to be able to walk out the door. Yeah, to get fixed. Exactly. It's about a partnership. And I think we're seeing that in um, in medical health now, too. So um, and, and behavioral health really leads the way in this because you it's not just about that medication. It's about those the therapies or the activities that the client or the patient is going to take to help themselves when they're not sitting with that therapist um, and, and working through whatever it is they're working through. They're at home. They have to deal with the rest of their lives. And there's an action. Um, there's a series of actions and activities that they can do in that uh, in that partnership to get better faster. Well, I'm not sure that be, I don't know if I agree with you that behavioral health is leading the way. Um, it should be. It should be leading the way. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it, it should be leading the way. I think behavioral health is stuck in the same spot it's been stuck in for the last 50 years, you know, which is, you know, a patient shows up, I do my thing, um, patient leaves, and then I go on to the next one. The only thing that's happened a little bit different is now we're talking about you have to demonstrate and show that the patient actually got better. Uh, for coming in to see you. And I'm picking up, um, and Kristen and I are interviewing a gentleman here in about a week and a half, who I think is going to very strongly demonstrate all the resistance to this idea. Mm -hmm. um, because what it says is, is that I, the therapist, now have to really do something. <laughs> you know, it, it's more than having you come in and see me and, um, you know, and then you're you're supposed to get better because, you know, when you talk to Blue Cross Blue Shield, when you talk to some of the private insurance companies, what they're saying is, is that if you've got 20 ACT teams, um, and those are assertive treatment teams out in the community, um, if you've got 20 ACT teams and you only need two, well, we're paying for the best two. And, and, and that's, a, that's a whole different concept in the way uh, this whole thing has worked over the years. And um, I just think it'll be hard to market that concept. That's why I wanted to have you on today uh, to talk about that a little bit in terms of people's comfort level with this whole thing. Um, because I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a lot of resistance. I was, well, did you get my blog that I wrote, Ann? I did. I did. So, Dave, kind of going back to what you're talking about here, about there being resistance to the idea that we have to be able to engage the patient and prove value. I think uh, in many ways, um, our insurance industry is going to is forcing this change, as we know, but they're forcing the change in a, in a slightly different way by having a lot of people having uh, health savings accounts or being the first dollar that they're paying for. I think a lot of consumers would demand mm -hmm. far greater performance from their own dollars than they would expect from the insurance company. So by way of example, if the if the insured person uh, has to pay the first $6,000 out of pocket, that means when they go in for therapy services, um, when they go in to say treat depression, I'll use depression as an example, um, when they go in to treat depression um, and they're they're expecting that they will feel better at a certain time frame, and because it's their own money, that first dollar, I think there's a greater expectation that I want to see something for my efforts. We're all used to yeah. going in and getting something. So I think in in uh, hopefully in in many ways the consumer will drive this change. Now what 
the challenge that you might have is that uh, for for many, of course, many mental uh, mental health issues, people want to feel better, but they don't know how to get there. And that's where I think the community, the marketing communication side of the partnership idea that you want to be yourself again, you want to feel better, you want whatever that definition of better is, um, you want to feel more in, in control of your life. Um, you want to, you know, stop behaving in erratic ways or whatever the case might be. If you want to get better, but I think we need to define what that partnership looks like, and we need to articulate that it is a partnership, and that your the value of your investment in your mental health will go much farther at our clinic or our organization with our treatment programs than they would elsewhere. And so, you know, kind of thinking of that competitive advantage, if I were the executive director of a clinic today and I knew that we could demonstrate um, through this patient partnership and I knew that we could demonstrate that people will feel better, whatever that measure of better is, people will feel better in 12 weeks. And you could go out there and say it because you knew you had data that said that our program will help people. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you're right, because the method of payment is going to be based upon you telling someone how long it's going to take you. But, you know, I was thinking while you were talking that uh, there's a particular commercial on right now by, by, about bipolar depression. Yes. Um, and a certain medication that you take for bipolar depression. And they show this woman. Uh, she looks a little sad. She's saying she can't participate with her family because she's depressed. And then you see husband and their daughter out playing on the swings. And then she takes the medication and she's better. Now, it doesn't say anything about the 10 or 12 or 13 weeks that she was in therapy um, and some of the things that she has to do. It's not just the medication. And I guess uh, in the marketing effort, um, you know, as I think about it, we have to do a lot better job of education, particularly in the area of this new thing we're going into, because providers don't get it either. And government doesn't get it either. If we're really going to do, and you know, I think you're right, the insurance companies are driving this. Why? They want to spend less. Yeah. And, uh, and, that's, and that's what a lot of this is about, too, is um, not spending any more money and hoping that they spend less. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Something else that we have to, you know, think about too is there's such a stigma around in mental health about marketing your mental health services. Uh, I've even had, uh, you know, people that are counselors say, well, I don't want to sell my services. You know, that's not what I, I'm not selling. And I'm, and I'm like, well, you're the person who pays the bills on that and your counseling center definitely <laughs> is selling. Yeah. So they don't yeah. like the term, but they also don't like the term marketing. Well, that's not what I got into this for. The reality is it's a business just like any other business. And if you don't market it um, and market it properly, you're not going to have business. So, Anne, what have you run across? You know, it's it seems like it's very specific the ways in which there's resistance to marketing in mental health as opposed to other industries that also have resistance? 
Well, I, I think, you know, when you take a look at all healthcare as a spectrum and you say, how are we marketing healthcare? I think there are different aspects of healthcare marketing that have gotten, it's been a lot easier. So for example, I'll use cancer treatment as an example. There are a lot of now freestanding cancer centers and cancer centers that are based within hospitals, but consumers have the choice to have that treatment done at a variety of different centers from a freestanding center to a uh, hospital-based setting. Same thing too with outpatient surgery. You now have a lot of outpatient surgical centers that consumers can actually shop around when they're looking for outpatient surgery. So we're no longer bound by the hospital systems or the groups that are in our in our individual communities. We can shop around for those services. And I think that's what's the difference between some aspects of healthcare and the, the clients that we work with in those industries and mental health, um, in that we haven't really kind of decoupled the idea of you know some of these services of, about that idea of marketing. I think in a lot of other areas of healthcare, they've seen that, hey, you know what, I'm competing against you know clinic A, clinic B, and clinic C, and I need to create some differentiators. I need to be able to communicate why my clinic might be better, you know, for for really you know expensive and maybe complicated things. It I think mental health needs to go in the same direction. Clinics need to identify what they're really good at. One of the things that we like to, to see with, with clients is to identify, it, it, it's uh, what we call a directional policy matrix, which is a, a very commonly used um, model for develop, for figuring out where you need to go. And what you really wanna do is you're looking for the, for the highest area of what we're really good at and where the market is going. So um, for example, if you're really good at treating um, pediatric mental health, pediatric mental illness, and you're in an area where you have a high number of families, where you have kind of a built-in market and there's a certain percentage of those folks who are going to need that type of care, and your staff is really good at it, you can tailor your entire clinic in that direction. Everything from the decor to your branding to the kinds of things that you talk about on your on your website to everything can be geared towards pediatric mental health services. And what you're gonna find as you begin specializing in those areas, that you're gonna attract more and more customers because people are gonna hear, clients really, people are gonna hear about you through these, these, so, these dark social networks where you're not necessarily a member of those. They're gonna hear about it. They're gonna be like, oh, you know, Dr. So-and-so is really fabulous. He's at pediatric children's, you know, behavioral health services. He's terrific. He's exactly the person you want counseling your bipolar teen, for example. So you begin to develop specialty. So one of the things we we counsel in, in um, with our clients in healthcare is figure out what you're really, really good at. Match it to where you are and the services you can provide in your region. And then go after that market with, with everything that you've got. And, and really focus on that area and get really, really good at it, you'll discover that your specialty will begin attracting others to it just simply because of the expertise that you've developed. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I think that that's where it's going. Um, it's already going that direction, but you know, when you get into the public system, um, it's a little bit different um, in terms of you know, how things are perceived. But I do think what you talked about is the direction it's gonna go in uh, because when you look at anything that talks about value-based, well, the first thing you see is write a business plan. Now, do you know, do you, if, if we took a survey of 200 uh, providers and asked them how many of them have a survey, I mean a business plan, how many do you think there would be, Kristen? Nary 20. <laughs> Yeah. I'd go even less. I'd go even less. I'd say yeah. two to three probably yeah. have a business plan. And a lot of people yeah, don't say, write yeah. business plans. It's just that we're what we're trying to convey in here is there's such a um, you know a, a, a lack of understanding or um, just the way that you know the counseling mind works. It's in the addiction treatment field, absolutely. There's a marketing, 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 push, push, push. That's a whole other side of, you know, of the the behavioral health side when it comes to marketing. They get it, they understand it, and they actually are in trouble for, you know, doing things that are not above board. But the counseling side, there's <laughs> as you know, Dave, the counseling side, there's such a resistance to it, and um, as if it's a bad thing. And so it's going to be really interesting to say, no, listen, I know you didn't maybe learn about this in school, but you have to um, 
you know, consciously market yourself and the services that you offer and you better market them based on what changes are being enacted in terms of payment and types of care. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah. I'm thinking of a, a large group of um, private agencies we used to be a part of that and all they do, it's all private. It's all private pay. And, um, you know, and their only marketing is a book with a page in it about each of them. That's it. Right. And with the way and the direction things are going, um, these places, the people that, you know, folks that come in now, the families are saying, hey, wait a minute. How come you're not billing my insurance company? How come you're not giving me something so I can get my money back from my insurance company? Well, they're all going, well, we don't do that. <laughs> that I mean, that really, that really is a big change in terms of um, how the system's going to operate. And I really does, I think it, and again, that's why I wanted Ann here, because I think it really does make a difference in how you think about it and then how you present it to the public in terms of what you do and, and what you do very well. Because right now you can go to agencies and I can think of a dozen of them they do 13 different things and they really don't do any of them too well. They just know that, you know, they're for, on a fee for service system. They're a source of income, you know, so to keep the agency alive, they do these things kind of good. Now, you know, but if they had to pick one thing they were very good at, then there definitely would be a cut down in how much service of any one thing is available. And isn't that what we're looking at in primary care, too? You know, Dave, you, you bring up a really good point. Um, the idea of specialization is really, really hard for a lot of companies to take on because initially that focus of leaning into that specialization means that they are going to forego revenue from the other non-profitable or non-service areas that they can that they can they can focus on and and really going full bore into that but the end result is a much much more profitable organization um, because it, it, there's a, there's an initial hit and it's really hard for companies to get over and a lot of times they'll slip up and say oh you know we really need to cover payroll this month let's just you know open ourselves back up to some of these other you know clients that we've taken in the past but if you can really just get over that hump and plan for that and begin focusing on that niche market you'll find that it's much easier to sustain business and it's also much easier to communicate the kinds of things that you need to communicate um, you know I think right now uh, you know for a lot of people it, and you bring up the idea of private pay versus versus public pay for a lot of people even in especially where they were talking about private pay the dollars the consumers dollars the consumers are much savvier they're expecting much more where they're used mm -hmm. to a different model of saying I'm gonna go in and get this done and this is what's gonna happen um, you know and, th and this is what I expected if you don't deliver on it you're gonna get a bad reputation and then you know sort of in the marketplace oh you don't want to go see doctor so-and-so because he didn't do anything for me um, so I, I think on the public side I, I think that may take a little longer um, because, well, except insurance companies would be driving that change. So hopefully not. So I think there's, there's this lot of pressure from both sides, the private pay side and the, the insured paid side, where you're going to be coming mm -hmm. together, where everyone's going to be focused into this new model. So I think organizations need to be thinking about what they're really good at, who they're best, the population that they serve the best, that is, they do a great job with them. They like working with them. They feel a real sense of it. You know, it's our mission. This is exactly what we want to do. And that it fits within their area. Um, you know, the one of the examples that I always like to use is if you're in an area where you have, a, say, a major university, we have a large college student population, you're going to be dealing with certain kinds of behavioral health issues. But if you're in an area where you have a large elderly population, you're going to be de dealing with a whole different set of issues. And you have to really say, we're located in this area with this geriatric population. We can't possibly go after college students who live 300 miles away or 200 miles away or 30 miles away. We have yeah. to focus on this geriatric population that we have right in our backyard because those are the patients that we can serve really well. So sometimes, especially for behavioral health services and medical services in in general it's um it's geographic the boundaries are often geographic mm -hmm. yeah I, I think of an agency that i've worked with before that they have 500 beds 
and the only group of people they work with are the very, very chronic people. People who are very, very mentally ill and are probably not going to get a whole lot better. These are the folks that used to go to the state hospital. And they most of the time are running at 85 and 90% occupancy. That's pretty good. You know, but that's all they do. And they're very good at it. They don't, if you don't meet a certain criteria, you don't get into the door. And um, a lot of different counties and a lot of different, the state uses them, the counties use them because they're good at what they do. And, um, you know, so I, I really think that's the direction we're going in. And that's really, it's a combination of, kind of it's really hard for people to grab a hold of this and particularly executive directors of agencies um, and then the people that work in them. You know, you've got little niches of people doing certain things. That's difficult. Um, in behavioral health, um, it's really hard. Uh, you know, and I think um, even in our graduate schools, and um, maybe we should market to them and uh, maybe get them to understand that they need to train their social workers not in the, what we were doing 25 years ago, but what we're doing today, uh, you know, in terms of making this change. So, Anne, if I wanted to do a big educational program on what's going to happen, what would be my best approach? Oh, you mean just to new students who are just coming up in the field? Yeah, like, like we're all going to go to value-based payment. Uh, it's not going to be a question of you want to, you're going to. How do I get everybody, how, what would I do? What could I do if I wanted to do this to educate all of us who work in behavioral health what that means? Well, I think a couple of things. Uh, first of all, if you're taking young people, I think um, all young people in uh, professional services need to understand the business side of the professional services they're operating in because that is critical. Mm -hmm. Many of those many of those young people are going to go into private practice. Many of them are going to go into organizations where um, the numbers are going to be, the, the metrics that they're going to be evaluated by is going to be much broader. It's going to be based on this concept of value-based care that we've been talking about this whole hour that you have to be able to deliver some set of services that help people get better. And you have to be able to track those sorts of things. So I think that that mm -hmm. we need to send all professional students to some form of business school to get them to think like that consumer. We also need to send them, um, we also need to help them understand that this doesn't make their work any less valuable. I think, you know, I think Kristen, you brought this up. Um, you know, you said they 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 Marketing is kind of a dirty word. Should we promote our, our healthcare? We're in healthcare. We're not in business. We're not selling mm -hmm. our services. Or they've gone to completely the other side where they're completely being like shady used car sales salesmen on the right. other side of it. So I, but I think that there's a place for marketing and there's a place for business in all professional services. And we need to start teaching our professional services um, folks who are in school that that this there is a model for that. I think. Too, yeah, I, I think you're right. And Oh, go ahead, Kristen. No, no, no. You go ahead, Dave. I'll ask it after. I was going. I, I was going to say that um, maybe what we're thinking about, and I think you're going absolutely. When I went to graduate school, uh, which was a long time ago, nobody talked about business. You know, I mean, you went out there. When I went to work every day, I went to work running a group home. I got $170 a day for taking care of delinquent kids. No questions asked. You do what you do. But I'm almost wondering if. Um, like for example, social workers. I'm wondering if social workers aren't going to have to specialize instead of being generalists, which is what graduate schools are teaching them to be. It's probably not unlike uh, the medical field where they do expect you to pick a specialty at some point. So at, at some point mm -hmm. in, every, in every medical school student's education, they're asked to do a series of rotations where they figure out whether they like yep. obstetrics or pediatrics or oncology or anything else. And I think the same thing is going to needs to happen in behavioral health as well, because yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it needs to happen. You need to understand what you're really good at. And if you have a, if you're serving a population, and it's not to say that you haven't had exposure to those other populations, but if you know specifically what you want to go into, and then, and then the flip side of that, as we go back to marketing, is if then at that point, as um, agencies are looking for clinicians to fill those roles, their specialty will help them attract um, 
their mm-hmm. their newest clinician because they'll say, hey, you know what? We work exclusively in pediatrics, so we're going to go out and we're going to find all the you know the the students coming out of the graduate programs that have specialties in pediatric mental health, and yeah. we're going to go ahead no, and, and hire yeah. those people. No, I I completely agree. I mean, when you get a social work license now, and you have to have one, or you get a license to be a psychologist or whatever, you take a test. And that test has nothing to do with anything specific. It's a lot of generalized questions that if you can answer them all, that's wonderful. And uh, you get a license. Um, But a doctor can't do that. A medical doctor can't. I mean, they have to not only know the medicine and medical and all those things, but a lot of times they've specialized and they're going to have to also get a license in that specialty. And I really think that's the direction we're going in because as we talk more about behavioral health looking a lot more like primary care, um, then there's going to be specialization. And I really think that's a good idea Um, because so now when I'm working with substance abusers, I've actually got people on my staff who have spent years studying how to do that not just a general education in substance abuse, um, because that's mostly what you find. And then when they get to your agency, you have to spend a lot of time uh, training them. Um, there's a young man in Detroit who just got out of undergraduate school, and uh, he's a social worker. He got a BSW, is going to get his MSW. And he called me up because I told him he had to get a caseload. I work with an agency in Detroit. And uh, he had 16 cases, and he's complaining about how much work that is. I said, what? 16 cases? You're a lightweight. (laughs) No one is allowed to complain to Dave about working too hard. (laughs) But if I was was specialized, that was my specialty, and this is a substance abuse agency, what medical doctor has a caseload of 16? Right. There's hundreds of people. Right. But he has a support staff around him that after he's done what he needs to do, other people come in and do the job. Oh. And that's what value-based payment is about. Right. Yes. You know, it's not just you. And I think we're having a real hard time getting away from that, getting away from that concept. Because um, I was talking to him again last week, and he's working with some very, very difficult substance abusers in the city. I mean, these are prof- these people are professionals at this thing. They've been in 15 programs each and they know how to answer the questions and they know what to say. And he's telling me he doesn't think he's helping anybody. And I said, well, what are you asking them? <laughs> because <laughs> they, already, they already know how to answer these questions. I mean, uh, you know, so I really do think it boils down to, it is going to at some point, become specialization and and if it was like that wouldn't it be easier to market if i was a yes substance abuse specialist yes wouldn't that be easier to market me than as a generalist it absolutely is and to you know when all when 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 any professional specializes in a particular area, they get really good at it. You know, there's this idea of, you know, 10,000 hours. And we talk about it all the time with athletes. And we talk about it all the time with people who have expertise in nuclear physics or whatever, that if you if you amass 10,000 hours of knowledge, um, that you become the expert, like the preeminent expert. So imagine what a career would look like if a professional who spent, say, um, all of uh, his or her professional um, education in substance abuse and then worked exclusively in clinics that dealt with substance abuse. You know, maybe they went to a couple of different clinics that had uh, different geographic populations that deal with substance abuse. Um, so they get a broad spectrum of different geographic populations, but that's all that they did. Imagine what a career would look like. You would have experts in this area who are so um built to deal with the changes in that population. And and they would really also be able to see when those shifts are happening, like, oh, we're suddenly starting to see people who are dealing with this now, and we didn't see that before. Why is that? All of a sudden, they're going to be able to start leading the research into new areas because they're able to see those subtle shifts that someone who's a generalist simply can't put their hands around. So specialization and education in, in that area is going to be really critical. No, I, 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 and I really think that's where we're going uh, because we're going to have to. 
um, what we're doing right now is not working. And that's part of the reason we're going to value, you know, this whole new system. Um, because the old one just isn't getting it. Now, and one of the things, too, I think to kind of circle back with marketing and sending all of our clinicians to business school, which I think is a really smart idea. When I was growing up, my father said, you can be anything you want, but you must go to business school. Because mm -hmm. no matter what you do, you have mm -hmm. to understand business. So you yeah. could be a violinist, but you better go to business school because at some point you might be in charge of the orchestra and you're going to have to know how to, you know, balance the bottom line and recruit donors and things like that. So <laughs> everybody, you have to go to business school no matter what. Um, so it doesn't matter really what we do. We need to, to bring our clinicians into the idea that marketing is not a dirty word, um, that marketing is actually smart because it helps you focus your efforts and energies in building your organization to the best organization it can be. And everybody's on the same playing field. Your your clients are, your customers are, who are coming in the door and saying, I want to get better. Or I want my children to get better. Or I want my parents to get better. Or I want you know this loved one to get better. Um, they're choosing you based on that specialty and you're able to deliver that and you understand those, those metrics and those models. Mm -hmm. I also think it makes it an easier business for them because when you understand those things, then, and, and marketing becomes sort of ingrained into what you do, then it's, it's it's um, it's much easier to make money at at this game. It's much easier right. to be profitable because you have that foundation. You know exactly where you're going. You're going towards that 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 thing that you do really well, whatever it is. And there are some, you know, every organization is going to be different. There are some organizations that want to serve a population that's really underserved. There's a mission that's associated with their business that they really feel passionate about, um, that they really want to do uh, more for that population, particularly among younger people. I think there's this real idea of, um, you know, social um uh, work life, you know what I mean? And I don't mean social in terms of, you know, like uh, socialization. I mean, social in terms of we're, we're giving back to the greater good to, mm -hmm. to serve an underserved population. And I think for folks who want to serve in those communities and, and, and work that mission idea and, you know, be a part of that focusing really helps them become more profitable, even in an area where it may be challenging right. to do so. Yeah, yeah you know, it builds in a different level of accountability. Absolutely. For, for what you do. Um, uh, go ahead, Kristen. I'm, I am so glad that I had, you know, you, you look at like the course of your life and the different careers and jobs that you've had and you're like, what kind of random nonsense has this path been? And now I'm, I'm old enough to where I can go, oh, okay. All that time. I mean, I had over a thousand clients at one time that were all, different, you know, from tiny mom and pop businesses to, you know, fortune 500 companies. And, um, and so I was in and out of around different business people all the time. And I'm so grateful that I know that now because of one thing, and, and this fits in with the sort of sort of a counselor mindset here's, or how it should be. Here's what I, I learned from doing that. This network that I run um, and all of these podcasts about mental health, not a popular discussion, getting more popular, but certainly not um, the, the big hot topic to podcast about podcasts that talk about where you get your nails done and um, how angry you are at this, that, and the other get a lot more downloads and reviews than we're going to get in mental health. But because I had this business background and respect for the fact that, okay, I may be an advocate and that's what I push for first is this advocacy and care about mental health. But if I don't know how to run the business that's going to get it out there and and be able to keep it um, functioning and keep it up and running, then my advocacy can just be me standing on a street corner and screaming about what I do. That's about how effective it will be. So there's nothing wrong with knowing what the heck is going on with your business. If you can stay advocacy first, you don't have to lose that care and that drive that puts you out there first that's ahead of revenue, but you better have revenue underneath that and you better have revenue from, you know, understanding this is how I get revenue to support what it is I'm doing. I think I think the big thing is that marketing allows us to do the work that we really want to do. Most business owners are specialists in whatever they love to do. And mm -hmm. they started their business not so they could be marketers and not so they could be finance people. They started it, well, I mean, there's some of them that do, but, um, but they started it because they wanted to do whatever it is they were good at. And having the foundation in these other areas allows them to spend more time doing what they love more profitably. So right. in a sense, 
having that foundation allows them to do what it is they really want to do because they've focused in that area and they've gone in that direction. So it's just, it's just a good foundation. Absolutely. I want to, um, we're going to, we're going to get ready to close the show today, but I want to throw this out there and for you to come on another show with us. And I want to plant a seed with our listeners and also with you. Um, social media and mental health. <laughs> it seems like a misnomer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there are so I mean, we even have a podcast on our network that is all about how social media is having an impact on mental health, negative and positive. And so it's such a conundrum. Maybe misnomer is not the right word. But anyway, it's a conundrum. So and it's a it's a show unto itself. So we won't get into it today. But I'd like to, you know, to talk about that as a separate show, because um, counselors have to be extra careful about how they market themselves even more than a medical doctor because we're talking about emotions and uh, you know things like that so um so if we can do that on another show that would be phenomenal yeah i'd love to come back on and talk about that lots of uh there's lots of changes happening in social there's uh lots of things from the business side to focus on there's also lots of things that social is doing to us which is I'm, yep. you know, a whole other topic. And I am not an expert in that area, but there are a lot of experts who are telling us that what we're doing to ourselves on social media is really harming our harming our brains. Um, yep. But I think from the business, from the business side, we touched on a little bit today, and I'd love to talk about that further with you in another podcast. Fantastic. Dave, did you have any further questions for Anne for today's show? I, I wanted to thank Anne for uh, taking the time to uh, to be on the podcast. I thought what you helped us with today was really great. Well, thank you very much, Dave and Kristen. I enjoyed being on the podcast today. And um, I guess I'll just leave you with one parting thought. Marketing makes magic. It makes magic for all kinds of businesses. So I hope that um, people don't immediately look away and say, oh, gosh, no, that's business. That's marketing. I don't want to sell um, because it does. It makes magic in your organization, allows you to do what you're really passionate about. Tell our listeners and where they can find out more about you. So my website is marketingacuity.com, marketingacuity.com. Fantastic. Thank you, Dave, for being my co-host. And thank you well, to thank our listeners. Thank you list for letting me be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to our listeners for our business series in the mental health field on Mental Health News Radio. Without good intentions, I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.